it's not keeping me awake. That's oh. true. Yeah, that's very true. That's just the coffee I have to inject directly into my eyes. I was just going to start the show. Oh, okay. You you carry on moaning. No problem there, is there? <laughs> no, 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 you do it so well. Comics are ready. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Give me the turbos, Dom. Okay. Hello! You son of a bitch. <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> Get over there. I hate you too! Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to a mood-lit Hey Kids Comics. It doesn't matter if you're listening to No, us. but we, we can explain the ambiance that we find ourselves in. Mm, we are very more quiet and yeah, BBC it's, uh, like. it's very BBC 2, this one. Yeah, I, I think we should... This is the tone we should adopt more often. Okay. Be gone with the, the extravagance, the, the <laughs> camp over-the-top drama that we are famous for. The overblown history on it. The sufficiently silliness. Yes, this is what we should be from now on. Okay. Apparently, lovely listener, our light in the dining room has decided that it is no longer for this world <laughs> and it has thrown itself into the road willingly to escape the decadence that is the Palace of Glittering Delights, where we record this show mm-hmm. at Hey Kids HQ. Pal- the Palace is off behind. Right. So it's on a separate annex. Okay. But today we're in here, yes. and the light has gone. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fuse, and it's not a bulb. So we are slightly perplexed by this problem. So we've had to borrow a light from another room. Yep. And it's very low-key light, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's, very, um, it's like when you watch a film... And the cops have got somebody in the interrogation room. This is the kind of lighting that they have, isn't it? Well, maybe not this dim. Well, no, somebody's normally dim. It'd be a bit relaxed Probably if you. this kind of light on. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't talk. Yeah. Both cops would be good cops. Yeah. And <laughs> if oh, this was the lighting. They'd sit there smoking going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and tell us, what were you doing at the crime scene? Oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, yes. Numero un. <laughs> I don't know what to do with him. I mean, I'm pretty calm, but he, he's got off the deep end. That is my job. <laughs> Set him mad. Oh, take a drink. So it's, it's a very mood-lit show tonight. For the 199th episode. Only one more left? Only one more left. Of this series? Of ever. Until we get rebooted. It's the it's the double-sized season finale next time. Mm. Will it be a disappointing series finale, like How I Met Your Mother? Or will we wrap everything up perfectly? Like, think of a TV show that ended well. Burn Notice ended well. Okay. Leverage ended well. Galactica ended Battle well. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Will we be like that? Or will we be a disappointing ending like The Sopranos? Stay tuned and see. 
Unless we don't get renewed for another season. I think that's pretty likely that we will. <laughs> Do we just renew ourselves? Yes. <laughs> well, I like me. We're Logan's run. Renew! <laughs> so tonight, it's DC versus Marvel, slash Marvel versus DC. Ah, uh, I see. Depending right. upon which side of the fence you live on. But first, we need to put those comic books to one side. And read an email. Gus Shaw is our first email sender tonight. Seven soldiers of success. Salutations, y'all. Greetings. Greetings, dude. In the email section of one of the clone episodes, Andy mentioned there were few responses to Michael's Seven Soldiers episodes. I'd listened to those shows, but failed to write in because, A, being relatively unfamiliar with such large swathes of the comic book scene, I rarely feel I have anything worthwhile to add to the conversation, and B, I bounce through the archives of past shows and don't always listen to the newest shows whilst they're new. I still have one of those uncool wall-mounted telephones like Hawkeye being behind the times is much more my comfort zone. So by the time I do listen to a show, I figure you've already gotten enough responses and my comments would just seem out of place. But since at some point in your past you alluded to a lack of feedback, I'll cast my belated vote for good pick. Respectfully, Gus. (laughs) See, you know, he weaved gold out of an email where he said he had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the emails that have nothing to say are some of the most interesting. Like haikus? Indeed. Maybe we should have a month where people email in with just haikus. Do you think that that would be fun for us to read? It'd be even even funner to write. So you're saying we should fake our emails and write some to ourselves? The Stanley approach to emailing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Damien Lee has emailed in. Original Leyland and Scarlet Leyland. I presume I'm the original. Well, I don't want to be Ben Riley. And you're the clone. <laughs> does that mean? Does that mean I kill you in that fight and pretend I'm the real one? No, because I, I am the real one. Okay. Obviously. Morning, says Damien. Morning, Damien. No, it's not. Well, it's not morning as we record this, but it could be morning when they're listening to it. See, we don't know. No, no, no. Do we? No. We have no idea because it's not a scheduled thing. This could be listened to anywhere at any time by anyone, mm. which is what makes it cool. Yes. But at the same time, they could be listening to it in the bath. They could be listening to it in the shower. I don't know how they'd pull that off, but whatever. Maybe they've got a dock. One of those waterproof things. Yeah, one of those waterproof things. Could be morning, evening. Mm-hmm. We should try experimenting with live shows. How would we pull that off? I don't know, but... Alright, well, I'll leave you to ponder that. I don't want to ponder. That's your job. I don't do pondering. Uh, Damien says, my iTunes has been buggered. <laughs> iTunes <laughs> Rather buggered. roughly from behind, would that be? <laughs> I.e. I couldn't fix it, I'll be bothered to find out how. So I've had the pleasure of listening to the Legend Seven Soldiers and original clone episodes on the train now that I'm back at school. Great. Well, except the still real possibility that the bed podcast on the internet might soon be over. Oh, I wouldn't worry, young Damien. We're certainly not the best. I, well, <laughs> that as well, yes. But I, I suspect that Hey Kids Comics 1980, where we get flying motorcycles. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and that's the best thing about that's the show. That's the best thing about... Well, a last-ditch attempt to stave off cancellation will bring back Dirk Benedict. Oh, OK. <laughs> so does that mean I have to be gone for the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're Barry Van Dyke as of next week, dude. <laughs> All right. And I'm John, John Crichton's dad. <laughs> oh, well, no, I was going to say that's better being Coy and Vance, Duke, but I really don't think that's a contest worth winning. <laughs> Coy and Vance versus Dylan and Troy. Hmm. Mm. Which were lamer? You must decide, <laughs> lovely listener. In fact, that's, that's our competition. Okay. That's an email competition. We've never done one of them before. Steve Lacey does them all the time on Fantastic Cats. We've never done one. Right. Who is lamer? Troy or Dylan or Coy and Vance? 
<laughs> I mean, I know this is pitching at a certain age range yeah. in the audience. I mean, I presume people your age or thereabouts don't have no idea what Galactica 1980 is. Mm-hmm. And I've never even aware of who Coy and Vance Duke were. I, I'd actually rather be those people my age who have no idea what Galactica 1980 even is. Even I have never subjected you to the Coy and Vance era. No, I did it myself and wish I didn't. When did you watch a Coy and Vance episode? Oh, Bravo. He used to play them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, used to watch, I used to watch Duke's Fans on Bravo. That's yeah, where you yeah. saw a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, I, I, didn't, I skipped the Coy and Vance episodes. I sat down to watch it one day and the credits rolled and it was... Those two. Yeah. And I was, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> so did you watch one of the, the I, interlopers? I just watched it, you know. <laughs> well, the car was still cool, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And Daisy Duke was still, you know. Daisy Duke. Daisy Duke, yeah. Anyway, we're interrupted Damien generally. Basically, <laughs> it, it fits. It, it it, does, that it tangent fitted. Anyway, Damien continues. I read Legends again last year. It's 80s burn and therefore awesome eye candy. And I loved it up to the War Dog battle ending, which was just a smidge too cheesy. I did buy all of Seven Soldiers that came out, but can honestly say I had no clue how it all tied together until your review. Now I need to dig them out for a reread once I've forgotten everything you said. The original, which isn't difficult, no. <laughs> quite frankly, I, I, remember I forget everything we've said after we've said it. Yeah. The original clone story is something I had always wanted to read. Well, you've saved me some money, so thanks. <laughs> if I have some of the Clarion 2 issues, soft spot for Sal Buscema, I don't know why. You just started your 90s episodes in my ears, these coming in your ears. <laughs> but these issues were the peak of my early teen buy everything collecting and why I'll always love Jim Lee on a par with Burn. I did buy all five covers for X-Men 1. Oh, yes. My God, the colouring. Can't wait to hear your views on McFarlane's Spider-Man. Let's just say I'm glad you're not doing those awful Wolverine issues. As for X-Force, I have one still sealed in the poly bag with the card. Liefeld was never good. Never, ever, ever, (laughs) ever. Yet I bought it, and I still love New Mutants 86 through 100. Ah, the power of nostalgia. Now stop the young and leave him by making him do an OU degree and keep feeding me your amusing and informed opinions. Thanks as ever, Damien. Well, much as we appreciate that, Damien... I I, think they're misinformed opinions. I think they're (laughs) ill-informed in many ways. But we appreciate you saying that. Uh, next, we've got a, another lovely email from Chris and Cindy. Should I melt that gag anymore, or should we just accept that Cindy's nothing to do with this? I still think Cindy is the... Is the, the brains in the operation. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been listening to Supermates, I'm pretty convinced that Cindy's <laughs> the brains of the operation. <laughs> and I know Chris won't be offended by me saying that. Costume ch-ch-changes! Bit of Bowie. I get it. Like a bit of Bowie. That's a reference I do get. Did you get that? Did you get that? I, I, I understand that. Excellent. Good. Uh, hello, Laylands. Hello, Christopher. And Cindy. I agree Web of Spider-Man is a historical meh in the grand scheme of Spidey lore. That opening issue that wrapped up the alien costume saga until Venom showed up was flat awesome, but the rest was pretty workaday. The Conway run was fine, but I dropped it before we got to the scorchers. No. But I dropped it before we got to the shocker's shiny cousin you covered here. This comic sounds dreadful. Dreadful. Toy Busy Spider Armor action figures looked kind of neat, and I think it did show up on the 90s cartoon, but the less said, the better. Electric Boogaloo Superman. I have mixed feelings on this. It's not a bad design, but it just didn't seem to make any sense for Superman to me. I know they gave him different powers, but it almost seemed like they gave him powers after Friends came up with the costume. I think it would have looked better on Quicksilver. 
The glory days of the super team books were over by this point, and they really did seem to be scrambling to come up with something new to top their previous efforts. By this point, I was suffering from switch-out fatigue, having lived through many hero and costume replacements, so when Superman Red joined the fracas, I bowed out of these Superman titles for the first time since 1986. That lenticular Alex Ross cover on Superman Forever, signalling the return to classicism, was a welcome gimmick cover indeed. Sue's Yancey Streetwalker costume... <laughs> was good. Yeah. I like that. Yancey's streetwalker costume was all kinds of wrong. Sue was always portrayed as far too modest and classy to wear a get-up like that. I think they later chalked Sue's newfound tartiness to an influence by her malice personality. When Reed is later presumed dead, I believe she even finally made the sea beast with two backs with Namor. This story didn't sound bad. I do like that DeFalco acknowledged the absurdity of making the stalwart FF extreme. Maybe I need to check these out. Another one for the books, gents. Chris, well, thank you kindly, Chris and Cindy, because we know Cindy is really writing those emails. Yes. I don't care what he says. <laughs> I don't, that's the truth of the matter. Our next email is from Eric Lamont, who... I, is Eric new? I believe so. Is this a new emailer? Well, bye, Jiminy. We still need to sort that theme tune out. We do. We need to give Eric a theme tune. Yeah. Not just Eric, specifically. I'm sure Eric would, would appreciate a theme tune, but yeah. a new email theme tune. Yeah, email us into your suggestions for a new email theme tune. It's, and it works even better if a new emailer sends in the new email That tune. would be grand, it yes. On the really rather excellent Fantastic Cast, you said, I've got to plug myself, man. Yeah. We have the, it's clobbering time, it's email reading time. But we don't have anything like that for new emailers, and we should have something. Yeah. I think. Stephen seems a lot more professional than we are. <laughs> yes. Yes. What is it with those Londoners and professionals? I, I, I don't know. They insist on it, whereas we're just two northern chances. Exactly, and yeah. quite happy to continue <laughs> in that vein. It's funnier this way. <laughs> it's, it's better this way. Uh, hey Kids Comics, Volume 3, Episode 37 is the subject line. I wish I remembered I, this one that was. <laughs> I am in exactly the same boat as you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Nineties. Eric begins. Thanks you two for this enjoyable and sometimes painful revisiting of a comics era that some would rather be forgotten forever. I like that you were able to find some redeeming entertainment value in your selections, even if that entertainment came in the form of you taking the piss. <laughs> I do love the fact. I, I've got this vision. Right. It's it's a lesser known political speech. Okay. I have a dream. Right. I have a vision of just get in. Everyone in America to just start saying stop taking the piss. If you're gonna dream, yeah. I mean, as dreams go, it's quite low scale. Yeah, yeah. So I think I've got every reality, every possibility of making that a reality. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I want world peace. <laughs> I don't want the many myriad different religions to all come together in a kumbaya moment. I just want to get everyone in America and Australia. Well, in fact, Australia probably say it, don't they? Yeah. Because they use a lot of our colloquialism. That would that would just amuse me. Yeah. I, I would find that grand. In return, right? We'll spell colour without a U. Oh, uh, where was we with Eric? Yes, however, I have to draw the line at Fantastic Four issue 375. If there's a bigger misstep in FF's publishing history, I'm unaware of it. If one team should try not to be cool, it's the first family of Marvel Comics. They'd be much better utilised as the respected elder statesmen of the heroic community. They should have left the gun-toting, jacket-wearing, overly pouch look to the younger set. If there was one time where Sue's power of invisibility could come in handy, it would be to hide while wearing that hideous MILF costume. What was she thinking? Thanks again for this 90s horrific look back. Now let's never speak of it again. Eric Lamont. 
promise to never speak of that again because presumably at some point in four years or so, Stephen and I will get to that issue. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to do it again. Can you just copy and paste? I'll just copy and paste me notes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> P.S. The easygoing, inviting nature and tone of your podcast make it feel that I'm right there with you, or better yet, that you're here with me. Since I live in the Caribbean <laughs> and have better weather, keep the fun coming, guys. He's in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. How is that in any way fur? He was born there, I think. It's just not on, man. We were born in England. Oh, well, that just sucks, quite frankly. I want to be in the Caribbean. Pouting now. Well, it's alright, because there's one very, very similar, but not the same, called the Caribbean. So maybe he's in that one. (laughs) I think it depends on how you pronounce it. It does indeed depend on how you pronounce it. Two different things. We'll do another one. We'll slide another email in. This is from uh, Chris McGee. Mr. McGee, I bet he's never had that before. Probably, Probably from us, <laughs> yeah. I would imagine. Dear Leyland, nothing but nanties. Is he so <laughs> No, it says nothing, not nothing. I actually prefer nothing. <laughs> Nothing's for nothing but nanties. Uh, first of all, says Chris, I feel I must apologise for being so remiss in giving you feedback on the great episodes you two have been putting out. Love the show, Steve. Self-aggrandising. We love it. When I heard that you two would be focusing on the 90s, I knew that we were in for something special, and the first two parts have not disappointed. Give it time. <laughs> I've always felt that the 90s have, for the most part, gotten a bad rap. Not as bad as Will Smith rapping. Sure, there is a lot of bad ideas that deserve criticism. Big shoulder pads, pouches all over the place, foil embossed covers left and right, etc. But there were some good things that came out of the 90s that people today tend to forget all about, or at least refuse to acknowledge. For example, Nightfall, which we've covered. The Death and Return of Superman, which was on from Crisis to Crisis. Marvels by Alex Ross, we covered an issue of that. We did. Kingdom Come, we covered an issue of that. Mm -hmm. And Age of Apocalypse, the X-Men storyline. Oh, the only one of them I've not read. Just to name a few. I truly appreciated the balanced look that you gave to the comics that were under review, namely X-Force 1, Spider-Man 1, and X-Men, number 1 by Jim Lee. I fondly remember buying all these issues from my local comic book store down in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is where I resided at the time these issues came out. And for that, I truly want to thank you both. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening sincerely Chris McGee well thank you very much Chris we were we're, we're quite touched by that Mm -hmm. if there's nothing we like more it's a big old nostalgia fest right we'll call it a day though with the email section of the show the bag's bulging a bulging sack so my plea to the lovely listener to write us an email worked and that self same single listener wrote us nothing but email after email for which we thank you because it makes us look like we're popular first off uh, Ian McGregor gave us a donation I should have mentioned that at the top of the show yeah I've not received it Scott Gardner's holding on to it right okay (laughs) he's not sent it my way yet but he's told me that we've got it he's holding it to ransom is it I think yeah next time we go over I said was it was it enough to pay for an air flight for the lot of us Sadly, didn't quite reach that target. But Ian McGregor, we, we greatly appreciate your donation. I'm sure I will see 50% of it. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a break, we'll plug the show, it'll be a great show, I have every faith in it, and we'll be right back. The march to victory. The flames of the Second World War burn across the globe. In the European theater of war, the Allied forces push back against the evil of Nazi Germany. And pushing our boys ahead at the front, no band of brothers fought harder and more ferociously than Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos. 
Marvel Comics immortalized the courageous exploits of Sergeant Fury, Dum Dum Dugan, Gabe Jones, and the rest of the elite fighting unit. Well, hell, heavens and Metroid, here they come now, Sergeant Fury! Look alive, you gold bricks! I'm not fighting the war by myself out here. What do you think we're gonna do when the Nazis actually show up? Come on, you boys, march! Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast will follow those gripping stories of combat and bravery from the beginning. Join Brian Zeno and Dion Baia every other Monday as they dig into Marvel's classic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos issue by issue with humor and historical insight. Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast is available on iTunes and at furycast.podwits.com and is part of the Podwits Podcast Network. Face front, soldier! Wahoo! Marvel vs. DC, DC vs. Marvel, was the brainchild of editors Mike Carlin and Mike Gruenwald. It was a hyped-up, balls-out, when-worlds-collide type crossover in which the characters of both universes would meet and fight, because that's what we want to see in a Marvel-DC crossover. This isn't us being pithy. Many times, long-time listeners to the show will know our conversations have descended into who would win in a fight between, and that's clearly one of the cornerstones of the superhero fandom. We all have our fiefdoms, our favourite characters, who we will absolutely not accept can be beaten by anybody. Sadly, those that favour Batman seem to be writing his comics. <laughs> For example, I have no doubt that in a mano a mano, all-out battle that burns the land and boils the sea between Aquaman and Namor, Namor would ultimately emerge victorious. I've not read a great deal of Aquaman, to be fair. Peter David and Jeff Johns' runs are pretty much it. But despite being the king of the seas, Aquaman would, sadly come off worst. Why? Well, Neymar is clearly the man when it comes to battle. The guy is merciless. He can fly as well as being the ruler of Atlantis. And he takes absolutely no crap from anyone. The guy has invaded the surface world, fought Nazis. He's taken on the Hulk, the Silver Surfer and the Thing and emerged unscathed. Now, I'm not saying Aquaman couldn't take these guys on and possibly hold his own, but Neymar has one thing Aquaman doesn't have. His ruthless, single-minded arrogance. Neymar wouldn't be beaten, because his ego wouldn't allow him to be beat. Depends which Aquaman. If it was the 90s Aquaman, with the long hair and the beard and the, the spiky for a hand, mm. he'd definitely win. Would he? He'd, yeah. What yeah. brings you to that conclusion? Would it be these comics that we hold before us? I was going to say his immaculate chest hair, but okay. <laughs> All of this is a roundabout way of explaining the premise, lovely listener, of Marvel versus DC. Pit hero against hero and watch them fight. The plot is as irrelevant as any plot in a comic since the first time Superman met Spider-Man. The gimmick here was that not only would the readers get to vote on the outcome of certain battles, a mistake in my opinion, but there would also be a series of one-shot comics that merged the DC and Marvel universe together, which I thought was actually a pretty cool idea. The series of one-shots called Amalgam would be released in between issues 3 and 4. You know, the all-is-lost moment of the story. This was to be no dark, nihilistic, everybody-dies crossover. Fun was the name of the game for Gruenwald and Carlin. The creators would only have four issues to tell the main story, albeit four double-sized issues. So the plot, as mentioned, should have been a flimsy excuse to give readers cool fan moments that they always wanted to see, including a number of superhero slugfests. Sadly, the editors decided to pursue some cosmic battle between alien godlike entities and waste time explaining the fundamental differences between the universes, which ate up story time that could have been put to much better use. 
Clashes between heroes would still be prominent despite these story missteps. The first six bouts in these books were decided upon by the writers and editors of the story. These fights were between Thor and Captain Marvel, Aquaman and Namor, Flash and Quicksilver, Robin and Jubilee, Catwoman and Elektra, and Silver Surfer and Green Lantern. The final five fights would be decided by Reader Poll, which, as I mentioned, is a silly idea. The readers are clearly going to stuff the ballots in favour of their characters. Personally, I would rather have seen the writers and editors decide who won, but sadly that was not the case. Nevertheless, this gimmick was key to the series' success, and the fights given over to the readers were Lobo vs. Wolverine, Wonder Woman vs. Storm, Spider-Man vs. Superboy, Hulk vs. Superman, and Batman vs. Captain America. It was decided that the four-issue miniseries would have two issues by a Marvel creative team and two by a DC creative team, although all participants had worked for both companies over the years. Ron Mars and Dan Jurgens would be the DC creative team of choice, whilst Marvel selected Peter David and Claudio Castellani. David, in a Comic Buyer's Guide article, talks about the choices and how we ended up on the project. He recalls that it was he that came up with the basic plot, and that the writing was to be a tag-team thing, each writer taking eight or so pages each. However, this quickly became untenable, and it was decided that each writer would instead take two full issues, with David volunteering to take issues two and four. Largely, he said, because issue one would be exposition, and issue three would be the bigger battle, and it had already been decided by editorial that they could only allocate three pages to each fight, something David felt was a little limiting. He was also more interested in the creative challenge of wrapping it all up rather than starting from scratch. Do you know what we should have done with this? I should have asked you, who do you think wins each of those battles before you read the comics? Shouldn't I? Because obviously I read these when they came out. Yeah. So, but you didn't. Or did you? You ever read this before? No. Had you not? No. That's quite cool. DC vs. Marvel number one has an absolutely magnificent cover, hurt only by the fact that some of the characters aren't the iconic versions, rather the 90s makeovers. Now, understand I'm not complaining about the 90s makeovers of certain characters, but I do think some of the additions are a little bad. For example, Thor on this cover burly resembles Thor, so extreme is his 90s look, and Aquaman looks like a homeless man rather than the king of the sea. Spider-Man is also Ben Riley rather than the traditional Peter Parker, and his costume reflects this. Also, the Hulk is in his wife-beater phase, wearing a John McClane vest. In every other respect, Dan Jurgens and Joe Rubenstein do a pretty good job of showing the Marvel heroes on the right and the DC heroes on the left. Most of the DC heroes are who one would expect to be on a cover of this nature. Superman, Captain Marvel, The Flash, Aquaman, Wonder Woman and the Batman are all present and correct, although there is no Green Lantern. For the most part, though, it's the JLA. Oddities include Robin and Superboy, and, because it was the 90s, Lobo takes front and centre. I've always hated Lobo, so this did not thrill me when I bought this off the stands. It, uh, it makes so much more sense now you've said it was Lobo was a fan pick. I don't think he was a fan pick for inclusion, but given his popularity at the time, having him in this is a bit of a no-brainer. Especially since Wolverine gets top billed as well. Yeah. That makes all the sense now. Yeah, yes. The Marvel heroes are a little more hodgepodge. The Hulk takes the hero hands-in-hips pose at the top, mirroring Superman, which seems like an odd choice given the Hulk's anti-hero status for many years, but does point out that the Marvel U doesn't really have a Superman-esque character. 
The others are an odd choice. One would expect Spider-Man to be here, but as mentioned, it's the Ben Riley costume. Captain America is present and correct, as is Thor. Wolverine gets the main slot, as Michael's mentioned, because 90s. And it's always nice to see Namor in a prominent position, but Storm? Jubilee? Quicksilver? I get that we're comparing like for like, but no Fantastic Four? No Iron Man? It's an odd selection of Marvel heroes, to be honest. It kind of says to me that DC has more iconic heroes, mm-hmm. archetypical heroes, than Marvel do. Yeah. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Because obviously when they've set this up, they've picked the DC characters that they want, and then they've gone, right, we need a corresponding Marvel character. But is the Hulk really a corresponding Marvel character to Superman? In the sense of power? In the sense of pure brute force, yes, but in the sense of powers, Superman clearly has the edge over the Hulk. In strength, and this is an issue about fighting. And every other power that Superman has that the Hulk doesn't have. I mean, as we'll, I'll mention how Superman could easily have won his fight with the Hulk yeah. as we get to it. But yeah, uh, Lobo and Wolverine are both prominent for reasons known only to the 90s. Storm <laughs> and Wonder Woman. I don't know that I'd have pitched Wonder Woman against Storm. I mean, I know this is a more current day thing, but no, at this point it was a female Captain Marvel, wasn't it? It was Monica Rambeau. Was it? Yeah, and she was a great Captain Marvel. I liked her in the Roger Stern Avengers. Spider-Man vs. Superboy? Who came up with that? That just doesn't fit. Batman Captain America's a good fit. Aquaman Namor's a good fit. But Robin vs. Jubilee? Hmm. Uh, Captain Marvel vs. Thor, I can get behind that. Flash vs. Quicksilver, mm, I can see it. But, you know, if I'm listing top ten iconic Marvel heroes, Quicksilver ain't on that list. No, quite frankly. Round one was written by Ron Mars with a thanks to Peter David and Mars would go on to write issue three with David taking issues two and four. Dan Jurgens and Claudio Castellini alternated on the issues, taking half each and they were complemented by Joe Rubenstein who inked Jurgens, and Paul Neary who inked Castellini. This one gives DC top billing. I mention all that here because I can't be asked going through all the credits as we go along. Spider-Man, Ben Riley version, swings around Manhattan when a glowing box, apparently being guarded by a vagrant, targets Spidey and in the blink of a cosmic clock he finds himself in Gotham City conversing with, of all people the Joker in Westchester the X-Men tangle with the juggernaut bitch, but he too quantum leaps out of there and appears in Metropolis, Superman wants to know where he came from, but the juggernaut cannot really answer, back in Manhattan the vagrant tries to keep the box from glowing with duct tape. As he frets over what will happen if there are any more crossing overs, the box decides quite reasonably that duct tape isn't going to cut it as a glow preventer and burns brighter than ever, presumably just to annoy the vagrant. Captain America, Wonder Woman, the Hulk, Superboy and Lobo all disappear in a puff of plot. As the X-Men try to make sense of it all, Wolverine, Gambit and Storm also go poof. Before you can say Secret Wars, others from across the lands also make like a tree. Green Lantern, Elektra, Flash, Thor, Aquaman, the Silver Surfer, Captain Marvel, the Submariner, Quicksilver and Catwoman all go boom. The world goes awry. Bullseye appears in the Batcave holding Robin as a boy hostage. Some things, it seems, don't change. This Robin, however, strikes, elbowing Bullseye in the throat, and Batman tries to nail Bullseye with a batarang, which Bullseye catches and hurls back at the Dark Knight. The Batman ducks, tucks and rolls and comes out swinging, punching Bullseye's lights out. 
Before the dynamic duo can figure it out, Robin also disappears. Things look up for the teen wonder, though, when he reappears in the bedroom of two young ladies. But hey! Clark Kent isn't as fortunate when he discovers that his new boss is J. Jonah Jameson. Kent reports on the strange events where people and buildings are being mysteriously replaced as reality fractures around them. Events, however, are bigger than Clark realises. The Spectre and the Living Tribunal are baffled as the cosmic balance tilts and two strange beings, one red, one blue, hover and watch and lay their plans against us. Dun, dun, dun. Because it is kind of War of the Worlds, isn't it? It's kind of ish. Yeah. Possibly, maybe, a little war, bit. War between worlds. War between worlds, yes. That works. I like that. Uh, I like the opening with Spider Man and the Joker. I thought this was quite fun. Spider Man meeting the Joker is very amusing, with the Joker's dialogue being particularly well handled. I thought he was quite funny. I'm curious as to how the Joker remembers meeting Spider-Man in the two Batman-Spider-Man crossovers. But later on in this comic, Clark Kent has no memory of ever meeting Spider-Man. Mm. Obviously, that was pre-Crisis Clark. Yes. But Spider-Man would remember it. No, he wouldn't, would he? Because at this point, Ben Riley was making, like, Kane from Kung Fu and Wandering the Earth. It was the clone at that point, who wasn't the clone... Yeah. Anyway, moving swiftly on. I want to know what the Joker was doing on that rooftop. He was about to do something. He actually tells you in the dialogue, were you paying attention? What are you doing on top of this building in a downpour anyway, says Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, I thought I might blow it up, says the Joker. Which makes no sense. If he was going to blow it up, why is he stood on the building? Exactly. I thought, he, I thought it was just <laughs> a joke, so I still want to know what he was doing on the roof. Right. Surely he would be blowing up a building that he wasn't stood on. Yeah. Because that's suicide. And that's just insane. Oh, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Valid point. Yeah. The Joker blowing up a building that he himself is stood on does not make a lot of sense. I actually prefer it as in those 70s ones where they don't even mention that there's two different universes. Yeah. You just accept that they've never met before and they get on with it. Although there have been two different universes, the point of this story. Yeah. Which kind of bogs it down a bit, but we'll get to that as we, we go along. Ben Riley not being the Spider-Man that met the Joker adds a further level of confusion to the story, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. I can't help but think this has been better if all his universe stuff had just been ignored. Is this actually Ben Riley or is it Peter Parker? No, it's Ben Riley because he's wearing Ben Riley's costume. But it's Peter Parker? Yes, exactly. I will get to that later on. He introduces himself later, doesn't he, to Clark Kent. Yeah, one of my favourite lines. I'm Ben Riley, but you can call me Peter Parker. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to dye my herb blonde this week. <laughs> They clearly wanted this to be Peter, yeah. but drew him in Ben Riley's costume because 90s comics audiences were completely different to 70s comics audiences, and they would have gone, but this is a fit into continuity, <laughs> wouldn't they? Yeah. So, I can understand why they did it, but it doesn't make much sense, to be honest. In contrast to the Batman's meeting the Batman, the Spider-Man meeting the Spider-Man, like he's the only one at this point, <laughs> and the thousands of them at this point, yeah. clones, uh, Spider-Man's meeting with the Joker contrasted with Superman's meeting with the Juggernaut is actually very disappointing, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, this does go to what Peter David was talking about, that it was rigid in terms of its page count. But what happened here? Superman punches the Juggernaut, and then what? The next we see of Superman is he's at the Daily Planet. And that's, that's it. He's punched the Juggernaut out, and, and there you go. He's thumped him, and that's it. Apparently... The Superman can stop the Juggernaut. Bitch. 
Because yeah. uh, the Juggernaut's still there. He's not out cold. Superman's not knocked him out. Yeah. So what What occurred? Yeah. Nothing. No? Exactly. Maybe, may, right, okay. Maybe he punched him and he slowly fell asleep. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's something that happened. Yeah. All right, fair enough. The next few pages are devoted to the heroes just disappearing. They do the job for Tad Unremarkable. Um... I found the art change here incredibly jarring. I don't find Castellini to be as appealing as Jurgens. I don't even know who he is, mm. quite frankly. I don't recall seeing his work on anything other than this. And his depiction of women is god-awful, isn't it? Is Tana Moon on the Superboy pages and the girls that Superboy's flirting with are all... They've all got perfectly round bosoms, really, really tiny thongs... And they're just not very good mm. at all. I did like the Hulk has an H on his belt buckle. Yeah. I thought that was quite why not? Because why not, yeah. And I, I do find it quite telling that every single one of the women on the beach is a sex god playboy type, but there's a bloke there with a beer gut. Yeah, well, have you seen what Betty Ross is wearing as well? Yeah, Betty's wearing a very, very, very short skirt. Because you just go wearing that to go cut up some wood. Yeah, yeah, Castellini's out's just not very good. And the shot of Wonder Woman, I mean... If her thong thing was as tiny and tight as that is, that copper that she's standing astride as she saves his life is getting a jolly nice look at uh, Paradise Island, isn't he? (laughs) So, no, not a big fan of of Castellini's artwork by any stretch. I quite liked it. Did you? Apart from when I just pointed out all the flaws in it. Yeah, no, no, there are definite (laughs) flaws, and he's he's a definite 90s artist. But he did have quite a clean, cartoonish style. Maybe he was just the wrong choice to compliment Dan Jurgens. Oh yeah, yeah. I just, I just found why the artists couldn't do the same as what the writers ended up doing. Yeah. I imagine that the way it worked was originally the artist, uh, sorry, the writer was supposed to do so many pages and then alternate with another writer in each issue. Essentially, what the artists do. Yeah. So I would imagine Ron Mars was supposed to write the Dan Jurgens bits. Yeah. And Peter David was supposed to write the Claudio Castellini bits. Mm. But the writers ultimately decided, no, that doesn't work. Yeah. And I wish the artists had realised the same thing. And Dan Jurgens had drew all of this issue, and Castellini had drew all of issue two, yeah. and maybe I wouldn't have found it as irritating. Or what could have worked was if they'd have chosen a Marvel artist who was just as iconic and had a similar style to Jurgens. Alan Davis? Sal Buscema. Yeah. Either one of those would have worked, wouldn't they? Hmm. Sal and Davis or Sal Buscema. Or J- was John Buscema still alive at this point? Don't know. He could have worked as well. Yeah, but, yeah, as it stands, Castellini, not my favourite choice. Uh, we get lots of X-Men, because, you know, the X-Men sold comics in the 90s. And, and I? Lobo. And a lot of Lobo, who I can't friggin' stand. Uh, am I the only one that is Sebastian the Crab every time Gambit speaks? <laughs> under the sea everything's better down where it's wetter under the sea Cajun is, is that yeah, yeah it's, that's Gambit isn't it yeah. he's Sebastian the Crab I mean I don't know if he's supposed Sebastian to sound Sebastian like that. the Crab goes around just throwing cars Sebastian with crabs yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying Gambit's got crabs I wouldn't like to, to offer uh, an opinion on, on, on that to be honest with you uh, the Batman bullseye confrontation was actually pretty cool Bullseye stuns Batman by being able to catch a Batarang because Batman's all like, no, you should be able to do that. 
Yeah. He's like the, the Lego movie Batman, isn't he? <laughs> First time! <laughs> I, I quite like this scene because we got back to something actually happening. What? Did you... Well, that, yeah, I mean... A this first issue, I got, I got bored of people just disappearing. Well, that's why Peter David rejected writing it. Because yeah. the first issue is just setting it all up. Mm. And he was like, I don't really want to do that. It's a bit boring. And he's right. Well, you can set these people up. You can set this up better, though, but the way they handle it, it's just a Street Fighter roll call. Yeah, well, see, that's what I meant. In the 70s ones, the Superman, Batman, and the X-Men Teen Titans, and even Batman, Captain America, which was in the 90s, which yeah. we covered on an earlier issue. Go and listen to it. Um, they don't even bother with any of that, do they? They just don't even bother explaining why Superman's never met Batman before. Mm. Or why Superman's never met Wonder Woman before. Or oh, he's never met Batman, Spider-Man, you know what I mean? Or why Batman and Captain America have never... They just don't, don't bother. Yeah. They just get it out of the way, go, like, accept it, we're teaming them up, get on with the story. But this entire story revolves around them being in two separate universes. Yeah. And I just thought that got in the way of the fun. There should have been more like this Batman Bullseye stuff. Mm. This was great. Bullseye in the Batcave taking on Batman is what I wanted to see more of yeah. in this story. And I didn't get enough of that. Instead, we just see the companies, I mean, the brothers yeah. fighting each other. Because they, they, the brothers were the companies, weren't they? Yeah, pretty much. They represent Marvel and DC. And essentially, all we got was a big four-issue story that essentially said Marvel and DC are two different companies. Yeah. Pretty much. That was pretty much the end of it. And But this bit, I want more of this. Bullseye's got a knife to Robin's eye. Robin gets out of it. He's not a boy hostage. He stuns Batman being able to catch a Batarang. And then Batman clubs him. And Bullseye's like, you hit harder than Daredevil. Uh, as he collapses. I want more of that. Because that yeah. was great. And then Robin gets a really sweet deal by quantum leaping universes and ended up on a bed with two girls looking at it. That's a pretty sweet deal for our teen wonder, isn't it? I thought you got the best end of it. I mean, it, it's a good job they weren't getting changed or having a pillow fight or whatever girls do. <laughs> whatever it is that girls do in their bedroom yeah. when they're 17 years old. Talk about boys and cooties. <laughs> like, like an episode of South Park when you've got a time machine. <laughs> and it's just one of those... There's a fortune teller. <laughs> and they've got no idea what girls talk about, so they said butters in undercover. <laughs> anyway, we're not a South Park podcast. The next few pages were also a couple of my favourites following on from the Batman Bullseye, with no explanation, which I much prefer. J. Jonah Jameson is now editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, which is every bit as cool as you want it to be. Yeah. I, I like the first panel as well, where it's the Daily Planet, but with the... Four Freedoms Plaza. And then above it, LexCorp. Yeah. That is pretty cool, because like, that's pretty much all you get of the Fantastic Four. Dude, I, I just like how all of Metropolis's iconic buildings are in a row. <laughs> Daily Planet, Four Freedoms Plaza, LexCo. Yeah. I'm sure there's another iconic X-Men building somewhere that does now appear in the DC Universe. Avengers Mansion. Avengers yeah, Mansion's yeah. probably down on the floor <laughs> somewhere, because it's just a mansion, and there's nothing really special about it. Stark Tower. Yeah, Stark Tower. That'd do. Um, yeah, Jameson's got a completely different vibe to Perry White. And seeing the the planet staff trying to cope with that is pretty cool. Again, I wanted much more of this. There's a line of dialogue in it where they say Perry White's being fired and that's why GAJ's taken over. Yeah. Perry White's being fired. Just remember that for a later issue. I wish we could find out more about this mysterious publisher who took over the planet and forced out Perry. Yeah. The mysterious publisher turns out to be the kingpin. And Perry's still working there in that issue. Oh, the universe is changing around him, dude. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> 
that's the explanation for any of the plot holes. Right. The universe was changing around them. So that's, that's how they can get around being bad. Yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. it doesn't explain the art. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. We now get a montage of different fights and characters. And again, I wanted to see more of these fights. Some of them look really quite cool. Captain America versus Bane? That would have been awesome. Hmm. Batman versus Venom? There's Batman versus Venom there. <laughs> we get one panel. What, where's my 22-issue fight, 22-page fight scene of Batman versus Venom? I'd, I'd actually quite like to see Ghost Rider versus Etrigan. Yeah, or Doctor Doom versus Captain Marvel. Yeah. These are these are these would be cool fights. I mean, I can't imagine Punisher versus Deathstroke would have been that interesting. They just shot at each other. Yeah, you just like seeing shell cases bouncing <laughs> off the pavement. That's pretty much all there is to it. But She-Hulk teaming up with Supergirl, that would have been cool. Oh, I'm lying. The, the Human Torch and the Thing get our panel versus Firestorm versus Firestorm and um, Martian Manhunt. So that actually would have been a good fight, wouldn't it? Yeah. Firestorm versus the Human Torch. I could actually that. See, where, where was all of this that I wanted to see? Clark doesn't recognise Peter Parker, as I mentioned earlier, and as Michael mentioned, call me Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as I mentioned, doesn't have the blonde hair. Mm-hmm. So, who decides which continuity things need to be examined in tedious detail, and which just are glossed over? Um, they're all glossed over. That one's glossed over, it's that Ben Riley doesn't have his blonde hair. You've gone for iconic... Well, no, they've not, because he's still wearing Ben's costume. Yeah. And Thor's... What the hell is Thor wearing? All right, so they've gone for iconic-ish characters in the 90s get-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aquaman, the uh, homeless guy. Yeah. Yeah. They, right. should, they should have made it, like, um, a fighting game. You can have alternate costumes, so like, like variant <laughs> covers. You have variant costumes. Well, just do different issues, printings, and you buy whichever one you want. Yeah. A timeless version and a 90s oh, version. even better, just 22 blank pages, and you can draw your own fights in. I'd have just had 22 pages of Batman vs. Venom. Yeah. <laughs> Superman vs. the Juggernaut. That would actually be pretty cool. All of that would have been good, but we didn't get to see it. Instead, we got Gundam Wing. Yeah. Pretty much. It gets worse, that. Uh, it was an interesting, very fan-driven opening chapter. The players are all being manoeuvred into position, with some vague cosmic menace being responsible for the whole thing. But the plot is irrelevant to the fun that the creators are having, although one can see Peter Davis' point of view about rejecting this issue. It's all set up, and the cool stuff is often relegated to one panel. The art is troublesome. There's nothing actually wrong with it, apart from the way he draws women, but Jurgens and Castellini's styles are not at all similar. And I know I just kept being brought out of the story every time the art changed. Because of this, neither artist particularly owns the book. It's fun to see the Marvel and DC characters interact, but you know, as I've said, I prefer it when it just happens with no real explanation. And there were some cool moments, Bullseye in the Batcave, Jonah as EIC of Daily Planet, and I'd just like to see more of that. The first issue, Mark Grunewald and Mike Carlin give us a text page about the series and how it came to be. Basically, both thought it would be a lot of fun. I'm sure that the sales boost it gave to both companies would be a nice bonus as well. Next up is the ballot paper, which gives the readers the opportunity to vote. And then there are five pages of cool stats and facts to enable people to make an informed decision. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Yeah. People are just going to vote for their point of view, their particular favourite character. Choices and logic be damned. Well, I think, you know, personally, Batman's my favourite character, so you're an idiot if you think Superman could fight or beat him. Did you like the first issue? 
That'd be a no then. No, but I like some bits. Yeah, well, that's it's bits of it are cool. Yeah, there's not enough bits of it are cool to make it all cool. The bits of it that that we we were promised were, were cool. Were cool, and it's just a shame that the bits we were only promised is the very rare bits we get in this first issue. Yes, it's all plot exposition. It's all plot exposition. Oh, four issues is plot exposition. That's actually not not. Yeah, that's actually valid. And robots looking at each other. Yeah, the two Transformers did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were quite boring. Mobile suits. Yes, they were very, very boring. Issue two then gives Marvel top billing and had a cover by Castellini and Neri of the two Transformers toys from the end of last issue. Watching (laughs) as the heroes do battle, Green Lantern makes it to this cover this time, as do the Thing and the Human Torch. Naaman has a really long ponytail because the Duncan MacLeod look was in this season. It's a little busy, but it does the job. I don't understand the logic of a warrior having a ponytail. Surely somebody would just grab it and pull it. Loaded gun complex, cock it and pull it. If your back is facing your enemy, you deserve your hair to be pulled. Alright, fair enough. Uh, as I've said, Marvel gets top billing on this one. The vagrant trying to duct tape up the box from last issue greets another man, saying that he has been waiting for him. Before explanations are forthcoming, a voice fills their heads, as it does the heads of everyone in existence across the two worlds. It tells of two entities, brothers, for want of a better term, who fought unleashing cosmic forces that ended reality as it was known, before they knitted it back together in a rebirth that spawned a multiverse. The destruction caused the brothers to realise that they were not whole, for some of each of them wound up in the other's universe. Through their avatars, the Spectre and the Living Tribunal, both desired to be unique, and each believing their universe to be intrinsically superior, they have decided to pit their respective superpowered beings against each other in a war to end all wars. The rules are simple. Whoever immobilises their opponent first, wins. Whichever side loses the most matches, loses. Their universe will vanish forever. But enough of all this cosmic garbage, what about the cool stuff? Wolverine's battle with Killer Croc leads him to come into conflict with Nightwing, which of course arouses the interest of the Batman. Gambit also shows up, as he was inexplicably popular in the 90s. The Batman lets Wolverine and Gambit steal the Batmobile. Yeah, that's right, lets them steal the Batmobile. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that, won't we? <laughs> so that he can track them. He's worried about Robin, but he needn't be, because it looks like Tim Drake is going to be celebrating a jubilee of his own pretty soon. Hey, hey. hey, see what I did there? Anyway, Thor fights Captain Marvel and wins, thanks to Mjolnir being able to intercept the lightning that changes the good captain into Billy Batson. Peter Parker takes down both universes' Scarecrows and saves Lois Lane, even getting a little tight in the trousers for the future Mrs. Superman, something Superman himself wonders if he should be a tad jealous about. Mjolnir ends up in Wonder Woman's hands, for she is worthy, and Aquaman fights Namor with Aquaman winning by cheating. We will speak of this no more. The Flash vs Quicksilver has a fake out where we're led to believe that Quicksilver wins, but it was a ruse, and the Flash cold cocks him. Elsewhere, Darkseid and Thanos meet, and they just kind of (laughs) glower at each other. Which is true, isn't it? That's that's what happens. Um, There's a nice segue... With Wolverine saying Krokov and uh, a cop in the next panel saying shoot, which is a nice way of getting some almost swearing to your child friendly comic mm-hmm. without I, actually swearing. I like the, the two police officers yelling at each other. Well, because they don't know each other because one's from Gotham and one's from New York. Yeah. Yeah, showing that even normal, innocent people were being carried across universes. Mm-hmm. 
We don't pay any attention to that anymore for the rest of the issues, though, do we? No. <laughs> we could not for that. Uh, I really do like the bit where Clark and Peter think exactly the same thing. Yeah. Has to change into my costume. If only I can ditch this guy without him getting suspicious. And I love both of them. Same yeah. time. Very funny. If only they'd have both remembered teaming up and then they wouldn't have this problem. Yes, that's very true. But sadly, they don't remember that. Captain America vs. Bane isn't long enough. But what there is, is pretty cool. Although David misses a gag. Yeah. Peter David misses a great gag. There's a line of dialogue where uh, Bane chides Cap for hurling his shield away and he asks, what kind of prosthetic strategy do you call that? Cap should just simply have said, winning, when it comes back and bops him on the head. Instead he has this big monologue about the kind of works and now I expect no more back talk from you. Just, you know, winning. Yeah. That would have been funnier, Charlie Sheen. I, I liked um, Thanos versus Darkseid. What, just glowering at each other? That is so cool, Darkseid versus Thanos, but they don't do anything on their own as it is. Well, um, Peter David has said that what he wanted to do with that was every now you would just cut back to them and it would just be a page of them staring at each other. Yeah. No dialogue, nothing, just them staring at each other. Until you got to the end of something like issue three and Thanos would just fall over. <laughs> and the idea was they'd fought each other on some kind of mental plane yeah. that we weren't aware of and Darkseid had won. Yeah. But ultimately, page count wouldn't let him do that. But I think that's pretty funny. Or they, they just had a, a blinking contest. <laughs> I just played rock, paper, scissors. Thanos <laughs> <laughs> and Darkseid playing rock, paper, scissors. They're, they're, so, they're such cool characters, but they don't fight. No, they don't really do that much, to be honest. Um, I'm really not digging Castellini's version of Captain America. I mean, for some reason, him especially bugged me. But there is something very amusing about... I mean, he, he messes up the red and white part of his tunic, as it is. That's just completely wrong. There is something very amusing, what I was just saying, I was leafing through the pages, of Batman and Nightwing fighting Gambit and Wolverine in the WB stop. Yeah. I thought that was really quite funny. And do you know what? I actually did believe that Batman let them steal the Batmobile. Did you? Yeah. I genuinely bought that because now he can track them. Yeah. So, I, I just find it hilarious that Wolverine's driving the Batmobile. Just that panel of them sat... In the Batmobile. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. See more of this... Yeah. Would have been cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. More of Wolverine nicking the Batmobile and, and things like that. Lovely little throwaway panel of the Mole Man in the Batcave, which uh, we will get to see a little bit more of mm. in uh, in issue four. The inclusion of Jubilee in a main role is another sign of the times. For some reason, she was inexplicably popular at this point, but pretty much after 1985, I stopped reading X-Men. Yeah. So I have no idea which X-Men were popular in the 90s, or why. I mean, I can imagine Gambit, Jubilee, and Wolverine, because they're the ones that get featured in this story. Well, she does counter Robin pretty well. She does, but why was she popular? What was it about her that, you know, made her popular? I mean, like you say, it's nice to pair her with Robin, given her clothes are deliberately similar to his. And I presume that's the deliberate nod to Robin. Hmm, yeah. Was Robin not going out with Ariana at this point? He's oh. a cheating guest. No, it doesn't count because that's in another universe. Oh, right. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, fair enough. I can go with that. The cosmic stuff... <laughs> the cosmic stuff is four pages of stultifying plot exposition that you could easily have cut to three. Hmm. Quite easily have cut this down to three, maybe even two, so that we could have gotten on with giving us more of the fun stuff like Bullseye versus Batman and Superman versus Juggernaut and 
Wolverine stealing the Batmobile. No, four pages of tedious exposition is just not for me. Captain and Marvel and Thor praying. Yeah. Oh, that was quite a nice touch. Mm. I have to say as well, I thought how Thor beat Captain Marvel was actually quite plausible. It wasn't silly or laughable, but a, pr- a pretty neat demonstration of Thor using his powers to exploit a weakness that he finds in Captain Marvel. Yeah. There was no shame in Captain Marvel losing this round. And I loved how they structured it as well, that you only had to win a victory. Like in wrestling, you only had to tag them down. Yeah. So that neither side, neither DC nor Marvel, lost face. Which I think was my, my ultimate problem with this. Yeah. It is very much of the ilk that they both... There's no give. DC didn't want to look crap. Marvel didn't want to look crap. So there's no outcome. Yeah. There's no outcome really to any of these battles, is there? No. In another... In round two, Captain Marvel could probably easily have taken Thor out. Yeah. But in this particular instance, there was no shame in how Captain Marvel lost. I did like how Darkseid calls Thanos a pale imitation of me. Yeah. Which was very, very funny. When Peter Parker's stopping the various scarecrows from attacking Lois Lane, he makes a couple of cool gags. And let's be honest, it's Peter Parker, not Ben Riley. Let's just get that out of the way. There's a reference to The Wizard of Oz, which is rather predictable and timeless, and a reference to 80s action series Scarecrow Mrs. King, which is neither. Did you even get the Scarecrow Mrs. King gag? No. Right. I didn't expect that you were. In fact, given that this was 1987... 97, sorry. Or was it 96... I'm looking in this here. 96. Scarecrow and Mrs. King had been off the air for at least 11 years at this point. Yeah. I'm sure I went off the air in 86, 87. Nobody reading this comic is going to get that joke. Wait, is Other that... Other than me! Is that the one where he's a spy and he's pretending to be married to her? Yeah. Right. Bruce Boxleitner and Kate Jackson. Yeah. Po- Pre-Babylon 5, post-Charlie's Angels. How do you know Scarecrow and Mrs. King? Uh, it was one of those shows you used to record and watch before work. Was it? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I don't... I have no recollection of ever watching bad 80s tel... No, wait a minute. <laughs> That's all you watch. <laughs> there is no better kind of bad television than bad 80s television. Even when it's not 80s television, it's modern television that's based on 80s television. I don't know what you're talking about. Leverage. Leverage. Leverage is the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Burn Notice is Magnum. Yeah. Meets the equaliser. A little bit of the equaliser in it. Yeah. Go on, what else? I don't know what else you watch. That white collar thing. Yeah. That, that's got a very 80s vibe to it. Yeah. I'll give you that. All the shows you watch could have been made in the 80s. I don't know what. You a Battlestar Galactica? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, the 70s. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's how it works. Doctor Who, that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Season 8, my ass. <laughs> Anyway, back to this comic. Castellani's art really isn't to my taste, but the composition of the panel where Wonder Woman finds Mjolnir is excellent. I really like that. Mjolnir is really big in the panel, actually covering the front half of the panel, and then the camera angle follows down the shaft of the hammer, and Wonder Woman stood at the edge of it. I love that. Yeah. Credit where credit's due, that's an absolutely fantastic panel. And Wonder Woman doesn't look ridiculous in it either. She's not got perfectly spherical bosoms that look like they're going to club her in the eyes any minute. Absolutely great panel. Credit, Mr. Castellini. Uh, although her dialogue is Peter David, not Wonder Woman. 
She says the inscription, if he be worthy, I don't understand, worthy is an obviously subjective word. How does one determine worthiness to possess the power of, shut up and pick up me Yolnia? <laughs> That's Peter David, that, not Wonder Woman. Wonder yeah. Woman would have just gone, well, of course I'm worthy, I'm a Greek goddess. Oh, I'm an said. Amazon. He be worthy. Pah. Yeah, should that, that's actually much better. Yeah. He be worthy. Pah, and just picks it up. But you should write this film. <laughs> it doesn't take much, and Batman fights Killer Croc. <laughs> and wins yeah. at the end. <laughs> and then Venom shows up, and Batman fights Venom. Um, I said we would talk about it no more, but Namor versus Aquaman is just wrong. By everybody's admission, the editors, the writers, hell, even Shag. Shag Matthews hosts a Fire and Water podcast about Aquaman and Firestorm. And even he said that Namor should have kicked Aquaman's ass here. Nah, I'm all over Aquaman here. No way! Namor should have kicked Aquaman's bony butt up and down the Atlantic. What does does Namor do other than sit on a throne and go, I love me? Yes, and what's your problem? This is this is always something people bring up when they're dissing on Namor. Right. His arrogance. Yet for me, his arrogance is what makes him cool. It's not his arrogance that I'm using, that I'm saying is his problem. It's he just sits on his ass on the throne. And what does Aquaman do? He swims around and oh, brilliant. and stops sea pirates. Excellent, good. And yeah. Namor fighting Nazis, that's not better than Sea Pirates, is it now? That was 60 years ago. Namor taking on the surface world and almost winning. Right. That's not Sea Pirates, is it now? What, what about Ac- Aquaman uh, taking... No, that wasn't Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the coup de grace. Right, okay. Namor can fly. Right. All, okay, Aquaman. Aquaman. Might not have happened yet. So when it doesn't count then. His consciousness went into the future, into the body of an old man, and almost single-handedly led a ragtag team of old, useless JLA members and stopped Darkseid and the Eld- and the, the as the- part of a team. No. Name it and all this crap on his own. Yeah, he was a member of the Invaders, but he didn't need them. <laughs> he could have taken them down on his own. Of course, Captain America was Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Captain America and Bucky's got in the way, <laughs> yeah. quite frankly. Union Jack and Human Torch. Ah, Namor doesn't need that filth. But no, the bottom line Namor can fly. Namor lifts Aquaman up and he carries him out to the atmosphere right. and leaves him there. Bye, says Namor as Aquaman goes, Oh, Aquaman talks to, to fish. Oh, whoopee! So, right, no. Is that not a sign of insanity, though? That, that killer whale behind them. No, this was just lamer than lame. Peter David doesn't even try and make this work. It's because Peter Aquaman David Aquaman. drops a whale on Namor. No way! The next panel was Namor punching that whale off him and then kicking the crap out of old Hook Hand. <laughs> I'm no I'm sorry, I am not having Namor beating Aquaman. Well, I, I didn't like the, the Flash Quicksilver fight. Did you not? See, I did like that, because Quicksilver thinks he's won and feels really bad about it at the expense of Flash saving a child. He thinks he essentially he's cheated, which is essentially what Aquaman does. Yeah. And Quicksilver feels bad about it, and then Flash is, oh, sorry, not done, and, and ends it. Well, no, that which works for me. That wasn't my problem. My problem was Flash is all, all right, yeah, let's go kick some ass. And he just, he just, Quicksilver's man his own, Flash just jumps out and uncharacteristically just starts fighting him. Yeah. Without giving Quicksilver a, a chance to... Well, they do, they do 
pay lip service to the fact that look we don't want to fight but we will or certainly Thor and Captain Marvel do yeah they're both very look we don't want to do this but my universe is at stake so do Flash and, do Flash and uh, Quicksilver not do that no Flash just shows up and punches him uh. says I don't want to do this but oh well Right, well, let's have a look at the stats for Aquaman and Namor. Oh, because the stats are so important. Yeah, yeah, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Well, all of this filth doesn't matter. Base of operations, weight, height, uh, who gives a toss? No, no one cares about any of that. Ponytail or free. Superhuman powers. Aquaman has the ability to communicate directly with sea life. Ability to sense the primal emotions of aquatic creatures. Can swim underwater, keyword, at rates of up to 100 miles per hour and can withstand extremes of temperature and pressure. Other than the talking to animals bit, which, let's face it, Nemo doesn't do, because, you know, what kind of conversation we have with a fish? Well, his own Atlanteans don't listen to him, so why should the fish? A good point. Nemo can do all of that. So let's let's compare Nemo. Superhuman strength, keyword, stamina and resistance to injury. Resistance to injury. Right. Key phrase. Oh, that's... that's Ability to breathe underwater and survive ocean bottom pressure. Ability to fly. Right. So I'm... Just on their own so, so he can't get Namor hurt. comes out better than Aquaman. So Namor's using the invincibility cheat. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not a cheat if it's part of his power set. Namor's kicking Aquaman's ass up and downtown. Maybe not the Jeff Johns version of Aquaman. You know the new 52 version that was really rather good? Right. I will give you that that version of Aquaman and Namor going toe-to-toe, now that'd be one for the ages. No, I'd say Namor would win that one. You still think Namor would win? This Aquaman, this Aquaman. The hook hand? Yeah, hook hand. The guy who looks like he's been sleeping rough for a month? Yeah. Get a haircut, you hippie. The, the current Aquaman, nope, Namor would win. Really? Would, this Aquaman, yeah. See, I think the new 52 Aquaman versus Namor, I think that'd be, you know, I couldn't call that one. Because the new Aquaman's really rather ruthless and tough. Yeah. But in this, alright, well, let's... Source of power. Born a human-merman hybrid. So, Namor doesn't have to be in water to be super strong. Right. Aquaman. Source of power. Son of a wizard and Atlantean queen. Special skill excels at hand-to-hand combat. Special skill expert swordsman. <laughs> and Sue Richards can testify to that. <laughs> and experienced tactician. Weapons, none. Whereas Aquaman has a hook that has replaced his left hand, that he's able to shoot a thin cord to ensure an enemy, or can be used as a rope for climbing or swimming. Hook is also able to drill through objects, but he didn't use his weapon. Alright, okay. So I'm, I'm going off these stats, Namor is more likely to win than Aquaman. Top trumps. Alright, okay, based on what I know about Aquaman and Namor, yes. Aquaman could win just by making sure that the fight lasts long enough for Namor to forget who he is and live as a homeless person on the streets of New York. Yes. All right. Okay. You win. <laughs> Aquaman would totally win by cheating. Because <laughs> which he, he does. Which he, Yes, which he does, because he couldn't win by not <laughs> cheating. That's Namor's fault for not cheating. But he's a DC character. If any character's going to cheat, he's going to be a Marvel character. Okay. The DC characters are stalwart and true, apart from in the 90s where they weren't. Yeah. No, I'm not having it. I'm just... No, we will speak of that no more. We just Although, did. Yeah, for about five <laughs> minutes. I did love that uh, Peter thought that Lois had a crush on him. Yeah. Come on, that was funny. Part two has a number of instances of Peter David's wit shining through, but he's also far too fast-paced 
for us to be able to enjoy what's going on. I wanted more of Nightwing kicking Gambit's arse. I wanted a longer fight between the Prince of Atlantis and Aquaman. I'm quite interested in Peter Parker having a bit of a crush on Lois, and I want to see cool stuff, like Jonah Jameson being Clark Kent's boss. There's some good stuff here, and the fights are cool, but I want more of the good stuff and less plot. Because even with 40-page issues... This is bogged down by plot exposition, and when the good stuff does happen, it feels rushed. I felt they were very, very too long for their own good. The stories? Yeah. I felt that it wasn't balanced. The plot exposition was too heavy, and four pages of plot exposition, now four pages of fight! Now four pages of exposition, now four pages of fight! Yeah. It wasn't paced or balanced very well. Uh, As we've mentioned, there's more stats at the end of this one, but we're not harping on about Aquaman cheating (laughs) anymore. Do you like issue two, or do you not think much of it? It's fine. They're, yeah, all, they're all fine. Yeah. They're all good and bad. Yeah, we don't want to shoot out load too much, but that is pretty much my conclusion as well. Yeah. There's good bits throughout all four issues, but there's not enough good yeah. as a whole. It would be better if, you know the exposition bits where we go back to the brothers? Yeah, they weren't in it. If they... Well, oh, they were <laughs> in it, but they turned into some really cool mobile suit transformers and they <laughs> fought each other. So basically what you're saying is this was Pacific Rim. Yeah. With Marvel and DC characters. If, right, if, that would be much more So fun. the brothers are supposed to be representa- representatives of Marvel Comics versus DC Comics. Yeah. Rather than having the iconic 90s characters fight each other, have the actual representatives of the the... the the publishers well, I, think, I think what would have been funnier is if the Marvel Comics avatar would have just been full of self-pity yeah. <laughs> and sat there whining for a bit you know the, the, the DC one was going oh shut up Modi we've got superpowers yeah you know the, the Transformers <laughs> robots yes. where they were like a car and a jet and they all stuck together to make something else what if you did that so Spider-Man's got his spider bu- buggy and Captain America's got a jet and there's the Batmobile and the, the invisible jet and they all form together to, to make, make a, a ro- giant robot that fights the brothers yeah oh dear <laughs> God. Marvel tip top billing on round three which again has a cover by Claudio Castellini of everybody fighting but it's a cool kind of everybody fighting as Storm faces off against Wonder Woman Spider-Man is being choke held by Superboy Wolverine is slashing Lobo's guts preferably all over the floor, and Batman and Captain America just kind of stand there sussing each other out. The central image, though, is Superman and the Hulk just going for it, ignoring that Castellini's art just isn't very interesting. It's a pretty cool cover, mm. but I'm not, I'm not digging on the art very much. Let battle commence. Hero takes on hero in a battle for a universe, some reluctantly, some gleefully. But in the alley, the vagrant and the wanderer are deep in discussion. The Vagrant's time is nearly done, and the Wanderer, Axel Asher, is to be the next Keeper of the Flame. The Vagrant touches Asher, and he changes into Access, a being who must now preserve the balance between the two universes. As the battle rages, Captain America and Batman happen upon Access, and the Vagrant says that this is a chance to save everything. Access touches both men before the brothers can destroy a universe, merging realities, fusing both into one single universe, the Amalgam Universe. Quite a short synopsis, that one. Mm. There's a repeated word on page two that really did confuse me when I was reading this. It's written in diary handwriting anywhere. I always hate it. I hate that. Yeah. Got your back, brother. Absolutely <laughs> cannot stand it when they do that. 
But I had to keep rereading this because I thought I'd missed something. They're trying to to keep total chaos. So the fact that there was a two, a two, and another two on the same line. Yeah. And it's like a vicar in a tutu. That's not strange. But there's a two-two there, and I was just, what, what, what? Well, I didn't see that because this was exposition, so I just looked at it rather it than read it. It is four pages of stultifying exposition. To remind us what's gone on in the past two issues. Yeah. I just, I just get past this bit. I don't blame you at all, because it really is quite tedious. Dan Jurgens does a great Daredevil, though. Yeah. I think that's an absolutely fantastic Daredevil level on that two-page splash. Uh, the issue as a whole does show how comics have improved in certain areas since this was written. Why I don't in any way approve of decompressed writing for the trade... I think that one of my issues with this is it feels a bit cramped, even with four double-sized or 40 pages, but it's more than double-sized, isn't it? No, that is double-sized issues. Um, there's a five-page, sorry, not four, five-page recap of last issue hmm. that they should have just cut. Yeah. Mark Greenwald and Mike Carlin are two of the best editors in comics, and yet that typo escaped them. And not one of them said, this is five pages. Can we not just put a little thing at the front saying, this is what has happened so far? Maybe they can't read diary type. Maybe they can't, no, because it always irritates the crap out of me when they do that. I just wanted to get to the good stuff. Just cut this five pages, show me fighting. Yeah. Show me good stuff. Show me Wolverine stealing the, the bat cycle. <laughs> the bat cycle. That would have been even funnier, <laughs> wouldn't it? And Gambit in the bat copter. Gambit in the, uh, the sidecar. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been funny. Why, Shetty, do I get to the sidecar? It'd have be been funnier if Wolverine was in the sidecar. <laughs> Wolverine's just shut up, Bob. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that would have been funny. He's shorter. <laughs> Stuff him in the sidecar. Maybe his little tiny feet couldn't read the pedals. Uh, maybe his little Canadian. His feet. little Canadian feet. <laughs> Jubilee's being forced to fight Robin, which was you know a moderately interesting battle. All the other heroes have just kind of got on with it. But Jubilee and Robin have spent the entire day in her bedroom. Well, hey, not like that. It was chased. I'm <laughs> pretty sure. Yeah, 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 I'm sure that it was chased. So they're both a little bit down about having to fight. As such, the character stuff is all really nice. But there's never really any doubt that she's a match for Robin. Mm. After all, he was cha- he was trained by the goddamn Batman. Yeah. So there's no way that Jubilee was ever beating Robin. I did like that Robin never had any intention of hitting her. Mm. and he takes her out with stealth and cunning so I've got really no issues with this confrontation No, especially since I haven't got a bloody clue who Jubilee is I, I really like the fight scene it's not much of a fight scene no no but I, I liked Robin and Jubilee in this yeah I mean you know any any night that ends in bondage can't be that bad yeah but I, I, I quite liked I quite liked the relationship they built up between the two in, sh- in such short... Yeah, they, they, they get on really well, don't they? Yeah. It's, very, it's quite sweet. And then they're just like, okay, we have to fight, but let's put it to one side. Well, we have a chat. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was quite nice. And I liked a, that it was the kids as well. Yeah. The kids were, the kids are all right. Yeah. They just had a friendly little spa. Yeah. Whilst yeah. everyone else is beating the crap out of each other. Robin and Julie, Jubilee are like, how you doing? Yeah. It's, it was the um, the uh, the foreplay to the angry sex that came afterwards, <laughs> but not in this comic. No, 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 because this is a friendly comic. <laughs> Silver Surfer versus Green Lantern. I'm a bit torn on this one. Ultimately, I think the Silver Surfer would win because he is the power cosmic, whereas the Green Lantern ring is a weapon. It's a powerful weapon, mm-hmm. but I don't think it would ultimately be any match for a, a being of the power cosmic. It's ultimately still a weapon being wielded by a normal man. What do you think? Green Lantern versus Silver Surfer? Yeah, I'm still torn because whilst Silver Surfer is the power cosmic, 
Kyle Rayner's only weakness is himself. It, his, Not yellow anymore. No, his his uh, imagination is what powers his ring. Right. So he can only be as strong as his imagination is. And given that he's an artist, his imagination's pretty good. Yeah. Right. See, my, my real issue with this one, apart from only being two pages long, how does the Silver Surfer win? Yeah. They fly at each other. There's a big explosion of purest green. Nuggets of purest green. And then the surfer stands triumphant. Maybe. What happened? Um, You've got nothing, have you? Okay, the silver surfer just stood there and Green Lantern flew into him. That's all I can come up with, and the silver surfer just won by dint of just being the power cosmic. Yeah. And the next thing we see, Green Lantern's passed out on his board, which seems to have increased in size. But, no, I didn't, I didn't understand how the surfer won. No. Didn't make any sense, that. Electra versus Catwoman is Battle of the Bosoms. <laughs> Electra's gravity-defying boobs take down Catwoman's with ease, which I can buy. Electra's an assassin. Catwoman's yeah. just a thief. So, again, I had no problem with the outcome of that one. I think it's a shame that the women were depicted as having, you know, cat-scratching and stuff. Surely they could have taken each other out a little bit smarter than that. With knife scratching. Yeah, it was alright, I didn't mind it. Peter hits on Lois, which as we've said is he's kind of cute, until Clark rocks up and is like, uh, engaged, dude. Yeah. And Peter's like, oh, awkward. <laughs> that was funny character bit, that. Mm. I quite like, although, I think I'd actually prefer, I prefer the Superman, Spider-Man meetings with Lana. Yeah. I always thought Peter was more of a Lana guy than a Lois guy. And he likes his redheads. That's, that is true. Uh, Lobo versus Wolverine. Thankfully, Wolverine kicks his ass. <laughs> uh, I did actually like this one, because I liked how it was done. I liked that both combatants disappear behind a bar, because obviously they'd be in a bar, which actually makes perfect sense <laughs> now that I think about it. And then Wolverine emerges from behind the bar and just lights a cigarette and just starts puffing away. Um, no issues with this. Yeah. Lobo was a joke. Yeah, I yeah. never liked him. He was a twat. <laughs> so, um, having Wolverine kick his ass was quite satisfying. Are you part of the Garth Ennis group when it comes to Lobo? <laughs> uh, what is he? What's he for? Was he not... Because it was Alan Was he Gra- not? It was Alan Grant, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think the so, original thing with Lobo was he was supposed to be a piss take and a spoof. Yeah, but like Deadpool it got out of hand I don't know because I never read it but I just thought I mean as a piss take and a spoof I could probably handle him if I'd ever read any of his comics but I've only ever read him when he crops up in other people's comics and he just comes across as a complete arrogant bastard and I just wanted Superman to just punch his face off I don't mind him if he's handled well When, when has that ever happened? the Hitman special oh right okay when Garth Ennis handled him in Hitman yeah alright when he is, like, a, a, a piss-takery character. Being handled by a piss-takery writer, it works. Yeah, I, I think... Right. I've never read any of the Alan Grant stuff, but I'm thinking he's a character only Alan Grant should write. But does, does, do you think Alan Grant writing him as a piss-take probably works? Yeah. All right, fair enough. I've not read any, so I don't know. I just know I didn't like him. Uh, Wonder Woman picks up Mjolnir and suddenly develops a steel chastity belt. <laughs> <laughs> she does... Well, she can't be worthy of Mjolnir, apparently, if... Oh, right, okay. if her virtue is, yeah. has been challenged. Yeah. 
Alright, fair enough, I'll go but with that. But that was never a problem for Thor, was it? No, no, Thor would uh, quite happily, yeah. Use his Mjolnir. Yes, use his mighty hammer. <laughs> yeah. uh, this actual battle was a crock. There is no way in hell Wonder Woman loses to Storm. No way, no how, and not in such a lame manner. Very poor showing from the readers to just vote for an X-Man just because the X-Men were cool at the time. Over the truth, which is that Wonder Woman will kick Storm around the globe three times before morning coffee. Yeah. Especially. But no, I, don't tell me you agreed with that. No, no, no. That Wonder Woman would be beaten by Storm. Yeah. Not a chance. I'd be all over Wonder Woman if it didn't sound weird yes, to me saying would. that. Yeah, no, Wonder Woman should have won this. Yeah. The hands down. Absolutely no Fly no the problem, invisible so. jet into yeah. it. Yeah, drop the invisible jet on Storm. Yeah, yeah. Get out of that. <laughs> Weather widgets. Spider-Man versus Superboy. It's a tough one to call impartially. You know, I'm just going to Spider-Man. But from an impartial point of view, Superboy isn't in Superman's league. But he's still pretty powerful being a clone of Superman. Spider-Man's no slouch when he gets one on him, but he's also a clone. So this was quite the match. Not long enough, as all of them haven't been, but I did buy Spider-Man's brains would ultimately beat out of a youthful impetuousness. Nice clone gag as well. Yeah. The clone joke was funny. You're a clone? Clone. And, yeah. I mean, because it works whether this is Peter or Ben, Mm. that joke. So that was quite funny. I like that. I thought Superboy should have won, to be honest. Did you? Why did you think that? Um, Because this isn't a brute force battle. Spider-Man outsmarts him. But I... I can go with that. I don't think he should have had the time. Because if you think how fast Superman can fly... Can Superboy... Does Superboy have that same level of power, though? Maybe he can't fly as fast, but he can still. I still think he can fly faster than Spider-Man can think and then use his impact web balls. Well... And even then, I don't think his web balls would be able to stop the momentum of Superboy. Superboy would still go flying into him. Well, he doesn't. Spider-Man leaps out of the way and he crashes behind him. Yeah. I, I just don't think Spider-Man would have would have been able to react as quickly. Alright. See, I, see, that's why I said that it was a tough one to call impartially. Hmm. I did like that Spider-Man beat him by using his brains, but, you know, maybe you're right, the, the hows and the whys and the wherefores didn't quite ring true. In fact, um, Spider-Man only won this one because in still panels... Superboy can move as much as the artist wants him to move. <laughs> yeah, well, some people have said that about The Flash. If you were treating The Flash as the ultimate realistic character, yeah. there would be no crime. No. <laughs> because he would just yeah. show up and it's done. So, you know, they have to find a way around that, I suppose. Superman versus the Hulk. This was an interesting playground debate. Mm. Uh, Superman is, well, Superman. But the madder Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets, and nothing makes Hulk madder than being beaten on. So theoretically, this could be anybody's match. However, the bottom line here is Superman isn't just strength. Superman has a whole slew of other superpowers, including flight. So presumably the smartest thing for Superman to do would just keep the Hulk off balance and... If the object is to simply incapacitate, then chucking the Hulk into space and just waiting until he passes out, which the Hulk would do eventually. He, he still has to breathe. It may take him an hour or two. Yeah. But if Superman just puts him on um, Lagrange Point and just leaves him there to hover, yeah. And Superman then just goes right. I'll be back for you. And, uh, how long will it be before you stop breathing? And the Hulk's like half an hour. 
and Superman. Right, I'll be back in 24 minutes. Spider-Man, Superman's won, hasn't he? Without yeah. punching anything. Uh, because that was ultimately my, my problem with this. They go for a toe-to-toe slugfest. Now, in this particular case, I think Superman's smarter than this. I mean, it was a good slugfest, and the punches feel heavy, and they feel like they would have hurt, but I think that in a confrontation such as this, and it's a criticism you can level against Superman Doomsday as well, Superman would have gone for a more creative and less destructive conclusion. Superman is very rarely a brawler. Mm. And I think that he would have used his brains and taken the Hulk out in another way. I mean, this worked, and it was satisfying, and I did like the fight scene. I wish Dan Jurgens had drawn it rather than Castellini. Castellini, or however you pronounce it, but, you know, any port in a star. But ultimately, Superman just wins by brute force, doesn't he? Mm. And Superman's smarter than that. But I have no problem with the ultimate outcome. Yeah. What about you? Uh, no, I think space is the ultimate solution to that fight. Yeah. Uh, Captain America versus Batman. It's actually pretty cool. Dan Jurgens draws this bit, so he draws a much cooler cap than Castellini. And this fight, possibly maybe the highlight of the issue. I especially like that the fight between these two raged for hours, mm. if you read the caption box. As with Batman Captain America by Byrne, both combatants are evenly matched, and there isn't really a clear winner in this one. Batman takes advantage of Cap being off balance thanks to the sewer systems being flushed out. Additionally, read the rest of this story imagining that Captain America and Batman now stink. Yeah. Because they've spent ages fighting in a sewer. <laughs> the rest of everybody else just doesn't want to stand near them. That's, that's why at the end it's just them two in the alley. Yeah. it's um, This one's... There is no outcome to this one, is there? No. I consider this one a draw. Batman doesn't take Cap out, Cap is taken out by an external force. Yeah. And Batman ends up saving his life, but it's Captain America who ends up helping Batman out of the sewer. Mm. And there's a pretty damned iconic panel of Captain America and Batman stood in the rain by Jurgens, which is absolutely fantastic. Does rain just make anything iconic? Yes, and lightning. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's funny because it's true. Uh, a mixture of the cool and the unsatisfying. I still thought this was quite a fun read. But there's too little space for this many characters. That criticism still applies. But there was a higher ratio of satisfying moments in this one. Hmm. I thought. What did you think? I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's alright that one. Yeah, the, They've the, got the tediousness of the cosmic plot out of the way. But it's still there. Yeah, but it's still in the background, unfortunately. Following the events of issue 3, DC and Marvel launched a number of titles from the Amalgam universe in which characters from both were merged into one coherent narrative, orchestrated by Grunewald and Carlin. There were 12 titles, 6 produced by Marvel and 6 by DC. All were published as if they'd been going for years, with complex backstories going all the way back to the Golden Age, and even fake universe-shattering events like the Secret Crisis of the Infinity Hour, according to Wikipedia, where I stole that bit from. Okay. As with all projects of this nature, some were better than others. The DC ones produced Amazon, written and drawn by John Byrne, featured Amazon, a.k.a. Princess Aurora Monroe of Themyscira. It was alright, bit dry. Assassins, written by Dan Chichester and illustrated by Scott McDaniel, featured two main characters, Cat's Eye, oh dear God, and Der, the Terminator. Didn't look interesting, so I didn't read it. Doctor Strange Fate was written by Ron Mars with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. We are contractually obliged to say praise be his name. And notable for being part of the overall story art with Strange Fate figuring it all out. 
it was alright, but it's notable as well for being the only one of the Amalgam issues to be in the trade. Right. It was considered actually part of the story. JLX was written by Jared Jones and Mark Wade, without by Howard Porter and John Dell didn't read it. Legends of the Dark Claw was written by Larry Harmer, without by Jim Boobs Ballant and Ray McCarthy. <laughs> Copyright Mike Bailey, I think. It was alright. Super Soldier was written by Mark Wade and illustrated by Dave Gibbons and was easily the best. Wade and Gibbons mix up Captain America and Superman to great effect and the art was gorgeous. Marvel Comics produced Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was written by Chuck Dixon with art by Carrie Nord and Mark Pennington. This was pretty good, Dixon crafting an action-packed yarn. Bullets and Bracelets was written by John Ostrander and illustrated by Gary Frank. This one was surprisingly good, with Diana Prince and Frank Castle teaming up as mercenaries. Magneto and the Magnetic Men was written by Jared Jones with art by Jeff Matsuda and Art Tibbet. Didn't read it. Speed Demon was written by Howard Mackey with art by Salvador LaRocca and Al Milgram. Ditto. Spider Boy was written by Carl Kiesel with art by Mike Waringo and Gary Martin. This was a lot of fun, as you would expect from Kiesel and Waringa. X-Patrol didn't read it. Uh, these were quite interesting. There's no point even asking you, because I know you didn't read them, did you? No. Uh, in some cases, they were a lot of fun. I could see the appeal for the creators, but this is one instance where I think I would have preferred expansions on the main story. An entire issue of Wolverine pounding on Lobo ripping out his innards and wrapping him around his neck and then hanging him from a lamppost, for example. <laughs> or Batman working out what was going on, or Clark and Peter investigating a story together. All of that would have been a lot of fun. And if I'm honest, I, I think I would have liked to have seen more of that Peter yeah. being Clark's photographer instead of Jimmy Olsen and going off and investigating stories. That would have been better. I personally think I should have read the Amalgam Issues. Well, you should have, but you didn't, so... Well, I think I should have, because I think the last issue depends on you having read... Having read Doctor Strange fake. Because I just did not care for the ending, because I didn't care about the Amalgam universe. Yeah, because you'd not read any of it. Yeah, so, in fact, I thought it was very wasted. If you've not read the Amalgam issues, there's a big deal about it that just feels wasted on you. Uh, Okay, fair enough. I didn't read them all, but I read enough to know what was going on. Yeah, like, there's no impact... That was a different line of comics, that's why. With, yeah. <laughs> Without Amalgam, there's no impact to this last issue. Right. Yeah, if you've not read any of the Amalgam issues, you've no idea what's going on on page one. Yeah. All right. That's fair enough. That's fair comment. Issue four gave DC top billing and has a Dan Jurgens cover of the heroes of the various universes being split by a large red glowy beam. It signifies the Amalgam universe being torn apart as Cap separates himself from Superman... Batman from Wolverine, etc, etc, etc. As the energy beam spreads, we see various amalgam heroes at the top. Covered it mean anything to you then? It's alright. Yeah, it's okay. Round four, the Vagrant tries to hold it all together as Dark Claw and Super Soldier pursue Hyena. He thinks this is the work of the brothers and realises that the Living Tribunal and the Spectre are doing all the heavy lifting in keeping the universes from collapsing. Access reappears, grabs hold of Dark Claw and Super Soldier, lured here by the Vagrant, and once again two worlds split as he uses the shards within them to split them up. With the Vagrant gone, Access Cap and Batman arrive in the same alleyway we began in, as Access gives the Living Tribunal and the Spectre the ability to tap into the power within Cap and Batman and restore the divergent realities. As the occupants of each universe reappear, the brothers fight using powers unimagined by even the Tribunal and the Spectre. As the heroes find themselves caught in the battle between Thanos and Darkseid, the brothers decide to end all that is. As death takes hold, the brothers see the lives of Cap and Batman flash before their eyes, 
and inspired by their heroic endeavours, they end this destructive conflict and bring order to the universes. With everything back to normal, the heroes ponder what it all means. Some chin-stroking going on. But Axis rejects what he has learned. For the truth was the creations suppressed the creators. And if he found the truth, then his life is meaningless. He voyages forth, after all. There are far more universes to explore. Um, this repetitive, but still not feeling Castellini's art. This was brought home when we see Super Soldier, magnificently drawn by Dave Gibbons in the Amalgam issue, here reinterpreted as an off-proportioned muscle head. I really don't think these two have, have meshed particularly well, mm. Castellini and, and Jürgens. So yeah, the opening to this didn't mean anything to you then, having not read Amalgam, did it? Oh. I did say read some of the Amalgam books, and I even recommended some of them. Yeah. So, it's not my fault you're a lazy git. I just felt that because they weren't part of the four-issue miniseries, <laughs> I could have... Oh, and thus you turned my <laughs> words against me! I'm wounded, sir! Wounded! <laughs> Blackguard. Uh, David does get a decent line out of Batwing. Super Soldier says, Isn't it funny when they say your name in fear? And Batwing replies, Fear I can relate to. I never got the hang of fun. That was funny. Mm. I laughed at that. The Hulk Superman scene in the Batcave was the highlight of the issue. For one, the Hulk pushing the giant penny on the moloids was funny, especially when he says, Penny Penny for your thoughts. thoughts. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
really, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Do you know, I hate to say it, but I actually found this chapter really boring. Yeah. And more than a little confusing. It's like the end of an unsatisfying summer blockbuster. You know, the sheer scope of the cosmic battle was handled in a blaze of glory, but none of it had any emotional resonance. It was too much plot in a series that should have been a paper-thin plot, but chock-full of cool moments. And there are cool moments in this issue. We've mentioned quite a few as we've gone through. But there was just too much of a desire to focus on the differences between the Marvel and DC universes that I ultimately didn't care for the, the story. I much preferred the DC Marvel team-ups of the 70s and 80s and 90s where the mechanics of why the heroes had never met just weren't germane to the plot. Just tell a lightweight story that gives the audience plenty of chance to see a few heroes who don't normally meet do just that with some fan-pleasing moments. Yeah. All four issues had moments, but a collection of good moments do not a decent 164-page story make. There were simply just too many characters here to give all of them a decent chance to shine. And it made the omissions seem even more egregious. Where were the FF? Why didn't Captain Marvel meet Captain Marvel? Why did Lex Luthor never meet the Kingpin? In fact, Lex's omission is the biggest difference between when this was made and now. Can you imagine them doing something like this now and not having Lex be a part of it? Mm. And probably Lex had probably solved the problem. Yeah. Given how cool they, they think Lex Luthor is at the moment. Ultimately, I said before that as fun as certain amalgam titles were, I think I would have preferred comics that concentrated on individual fights or heroes from each universe so that the beats that we were really here to see could have been given more room to breathe. As fun as parts of this were, I felt it was a wasted opportunity. And with the relations between the two companies at an all-time low, I doubt that we're going to get something like this again anytime soon. Mm. What did you think? I thought it was... There was Meh. some cool bits in it, but for it to be uh, a cosmic Optimus DC and Megavul, <laughs> just waking up, looking at each other before ultimately saying, we're equal. Mm. Anticlimactic, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there was a four-issue miniseries just to tell us that Marvel and DC both publish comics. And both are cool in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 That's it's perfectly valid. Not bad, by any stretch of the imagination. We've looked at a lot worse recently. Yeah. But not great. You know what could have been, or what was similar but handed better? What? Avengers vs. X-Men. Yeah. Because they did the... Um, the, the, the solo spin-off yeah. fights. Yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong. Avengers vs. X-Men handled essentially the same idea, but not between Marvel and DC, and did it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, fair comment. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, episode 200. The last one. Oh, no. I know. Until we relaunch as Hey Kids Comics 1980. Yeah. We don't want people thinking it's really the last one, the London Scribe. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but we can't go along with it not being the last one, because then it will have no emotional That's true. Impact. That's, that's very true. Uh, I'm going to plug... Uh, Two True Freaks have changed the feeds around so so you need to just subscribe to this show on its own now it's not on the main feed anymore have we been been kicked off we've been demoted what what do we do 
I don't think we paid our fee. Who did I insult now? Oh, demands us. It's just not fond of the fact that we don't pay our bills. That's personally what it is. Uh, Palace of Glitter and Delights is my side project. Still happens. Who True Freaks? I'm on that occasionally. And Listen to the Prophets. I'm going to listen to Fantastic Cast as well. We've just done over 100 of them. So 200 of these and 100 of them. That's 300 episodes I've contributed to. Just of those two shows. Plus spin-offs. Yeah. I need to sleep, man. I think this show... And the other ones I've been on, I think I've been on. 205. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you next week for episode 200, where we bring it full circle. Because we're like that. Yeah, because we're like that. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Goodbye. Is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.